0: Chapter 5 Young Folk's History of the American Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colonel Gary Bohannon. GaryBohannon.com. Young Folk's History of the American Revolution by Everett Tomlinson. The Choice of a Commander. It was a bold stand which the hardy americans had taken if they had been thoroughly united themselves it would have been different but the new england men had been so eager and determined that they had not waited for others to join them but had gone ahead on their own responsibility in all the thirteen colonies the entire population was only about two million six hundred thousand and though this may seem like a very small number from which to draw forces to contend against king george we must not forget that the people of great britain were also much fewer in number than they are to as soon as the result of the battle between the Minutemen and the regulars was known the angry colonists began to start for boston to join their bold fellow patriots israel putnam had been ploughing in his fields at pomfret connecticut when the report came to him instantly abandoning his task he left word for the militia to follow him and leaping on the back of his horse he rode so swiftly on his journey of a hundred miles that in about eighteen hours he arrived at cambridge where the minutemen were assembled at the same time when john stark came down from new hampshire with the first company of men from that colony benedict arnold who was then a captain had taken sixty men from the assembly of students and people in new haven and soon he too was with the little patriot army so from the farms and hillsides from the villages and hamlets the angry colonists came AND IN A VERY BRIEF TIME GENERAL GAGE AND HIS SOLDIERS FOUND themselves BESIEGED IN BOSTON BY AN ARMY THAT WAS MADE UP OF 16,000 RUDE AND POORLY EQUIPPED BUT VERY DETERMINED MEN. APPARENTLY NO ONE KNEW JUST WHAT TO DO NEXT. IT WAS DETERMINED TO HOLD THE REDCOATS IN THE CITY, BUT WHAT TO EXPECT, OR WHAT THE NEXT MOVE WAS TO BE, THERE WAS NO ONE TO DECIDE. ON THE 10TH OF MAY TWO EVENTS OCCURRED WHICH DID MUCH TO DECIDE THE FUTURE OF THE COLONIES AND THE WAR one of these was the capture of fort ticonderoga by ethan allen and his green mountain boys and the other was the assembling of the continental congress in philadelphia the chief problem before the congress was the relation of the colonies to the army and the appointment of a commander-in-chief in the congress were most of the sturdy men who had been present at the preceding session franklin had come back from his fruitless errand in england and he and john and samuel adams were already of the opinion that a declaration of independence must be made peyton randolph of virginia who had been the first president could not attend this session and so thomas jefferson was sent in his place john hancock king hancock many called him because he was so arrogant and unyielding was chosen as president and it was commonly understood that he himself desired the appointment as commander-in-chief of his patriotism no one had any question, for he had already suffered the loss of much of his property, and he was so hated by the Tories that he had been, quote, proscribed, unquote. But his fellows did not seem to care very much for that, for they elected him president in spite of the threats of the king's men. But he was not to be the commander of the colonial forces, as we shall soon learn. The deliberations of the body continued for a month, for when so many men get together, there must always be a lot of useless talking done though probably never did an assembly have less of that than this Second Continental Congress. One morning in June, not long before the hour when the Congress was to assemble, john Adams was walking up and down the street in front of the building in which the meeting was to be held. His hands were clasped behind his back, and his head was bowed, so that it was evident that he was seriously troubled. His meditations were interrupted by the approach of his cousin, Samuel Adams, who, as he hailed him, said, "What is the topic with you this morning?" Oh, the army, the army, replied John Adams. I am determined to go into the hall this morning, and enter upon a full detail of the state of the colonies, in order to show an absolute need of taking some decided steps. My whole aim shall be to induce Congress to appoint a day for adopting the army as the legal army of the United Colonies of North America, and then to hint at my election of a commander-in-chief. Well, said Samuel Adams, I like that, Cousin John. But on whom have you fixed as that commander? I will tell you george washington of virginia a member of this house oh that will never do never replied samuel adams in surprise it must do it shall do and for these reasons then john adams proceeded to call his cousin's attention to the exact condition of the country for the success of the cause it was absolutely necessary that the middle and southern colonies should be heart and hand with the eastern the american army was then at cambridge made up largely of new england men and in command of general artemus ward himself a new englander already some of the men from other sections of the country were holding back and protesting against the prominence the new england men were taking and apparently were disposed to hold as a means of keeping all together the only course seemed to lie in the selection of a commander-in-chief from outside the eastern colonies thereby uniting all sections in one body a body that john adams declared would then be irresistible samuel adams listened thoughtfully to his cousin's words and then suggested that the devotion of the eastern men to general ward would be a serious obstacle to such a selection he recounted the distinguished services of artemus ward his scholarship he was a graduate of harvard his success in the french and indian war and the esteem in which he was held by all who knew him he also referred to the well-known fact that john hancock desired the position for himself john hancock's claims were lightly put aside by john adams who had slight love for his colleague as is well known then he willingly assented to all that his cousin had said in favor of artemus ward but still clung to his purpose to have the virginia colonel selected for the position he referred to the remarkable services washington had rendered in the wars of the colony his well-balanced mind and large experience for so young a man which more than atoned for his lack of training in the schools Into the marked confidence which the people of all parts of the country had in his integrity and manhood after a further conversation samuel adams promised to second the motion and both men entered the hall where the assembly had now convened john adams soon took the floor and in one of his most impassioned speeches urged the adoption of the army by the continental congress he was himself ready he declared to arm the army appoint a commander vote supplies and proceed to business Fears and objections were raised by some of his more timid hearers, and then, with a warmth he could not conceal, John Adams again arose and said, quote, Gentlemen, if this Congress will not adopt this army, before ten moons have set, New England will adopt it, and she will undertake the struggle alone. Yes, with a strong arm and a clear conscience, she will front the foe single-handed, unquote. His burning words swept away all opposition. The time for the vote was fixed and then after a heated debate the army was adopted by congress the next problem was the election of a commander for the army which now was no longer a quote, mob of rebels unquote, but belonged to the united colonies of north america and naturally all looked again to john adams to lead and he was ready to lead too on the appointed day he was in the assembly and began his speech first he entered into a description of general ward and bestowed upon him such praise as must have satisfied even the warmest friends of the sturdy new england soldier then drawing himself up to his full height he paused for a moment before he added but this is not the man i have chosen the scene was intensely dramatic and the eyes of all the assembly were fixed upon the speaker at his right was seated george washington clad in his uniform of a virginia colonel and he, too, was leaning forward with breathless interest, eager to hear the name of the man whom John Adams would propose. More quietly, then, John Adams went on to portray the qualifications which the new commander must have. Becoming more eloquent as his speech drew to an end, he closed with these words, quote, Gentlemen, I know these qualifications are high, but we all know they are needful at this crisis in this chief. Does anyone say they are not to be obtained in this country? In reply, I have to say they are. They reside in one of our own body, and he is the man whom I now nominate, George Washington of Virginia. The startled Washington, as he heard the words, leapt to his feet and rushed into an adjoining room. The entire body sat silent and astonished. In the midst of the silence, Samuel Adams, acting upon a promise he had previously given his cousin, rose and moved for an adjournment that time for consultation and deliberation might be had. The motion prevailed, and the assembly was dismissed. Doubtless there were many conferences between the members of Congress, the records of which have never been preserved. But on the 15th of June, 1775, Thomas Johnson of Maryland arose and formally nominated George Washington to be the Commander-in-Chief of the American Army, and he was unanimously elected to the position. In the presence of Congress, and in response to the formal declaration of his election by the President, John Hancock, George Washington stood and made the following response, Mr president though i am truly sensible of the high honour done me in this appointment yet i feel great distress from a consciousness that my abilities and military experience may not be equal to the extensive and important trust however as the congress desires it i will enter upon the momentous duty and exert every power i possess in their service and for the support of their glorious cause i beg they will accept my most cordial thanks for this distinguished testimony of their approbation but lest some unlucky event should happen unfavourable to my reputation i beg it may be remembered by every gentleman in this room that i this day declare with the utmost sincerity i do not think myself equal to the command i am honoured with as to pay sir i beg leave to assure congress that as no pecuniary consideration could have tempted me to accept the arduous employment at the expense of my domestic ease and happiness i do not wish to make any profit from it I will keep an exact account of my expenses. Those, I doubt not, they will discharge, and that is all I desire." Unquote. Modest and sincere as his speech of acceptance was, perhaps the true feelings of Washington found expression in the letter he wrote his wife on the following day. Quote, you may believe me, my dear Patsy, his pet name for Martha Washington, when I assure you in the most solemn manner that so far from seeking the appointment, I have used every endeavor in my power to avoid it, not only from my unwillingness to part with you and the family, but from the consciousness of its being a trust too great for my capacity, and that I should enjoy more real happiness in one month with you at home than I have the most distant prospect of finding abroad if my stay were to be seven times seven years. Unquote. Profoundly moved by the modest address of the newly elected commander, Congress at once appointed Richard Henry Lee. Edward Rutledge, and John Adams a committee to draft a commission and instructions for the new general. And four days afterward, the following commission was given George Washington. Quote To George Washington, Esquire We, reposing special trust and confidence in your patriotism, valor, conduct, and fidelity, do by these presents constitute and appoint you Commander in Chief of the Army of the United Colonies and of all forces now raised or to be raised by them, and of all others who shall voluntarily offer their services and join said army for the defense of American liberty, and repelling every hostile invasion thereof. And you are hereby vested with free power and authority to act as you shall think for the good and welfare of the service. And we do hereby strictly charge and require all officers and soldiers under your command to be obedient to your orders, and diligent in the exercise of their several duties and we do also enjoin and require you to be careful in executing the great trust reposed in you by causing strict discipline and order to be observed in the army and that the soldiers be duly exercised and provided with all convenient necessaries and you are to regulate your conduct in every respect by the rules and discipline of war as here given you and punctually to observe and follow such orders and directions from time to time as you shall receive from this or a future congress of these united colonies or committee of congress this commission is to continue in force until revoked by this or a future Congress signed John Hancock, President. Unquote. This commission was afterward preserved in a glass case in the capital of the nation on june twenty first seventeen seventy five General Washington, as he then became, started from Philadelphia for the camp at Cambridge. All along the march he was greeted enthusiastically, and his reception at the camp itself on July 2nd was the most enthusiastic of all. There was now an army, a commander in chief, a congress, and a war that was to last for many long years. Chapter 5